Welcome, everybody, to another episode, the second episode of Let's Build a Christian Nation. I am half of your podcast, Lucas. With me, as always, is Lewis. How are you today, Lewis? I'm doing great. Doing great. Ready to build a Christian nation. Here's Let's some. do it, man. <laughs> well, and the it's hard to build a Christian nation when not everybody is a Christian, right? But I actually, we have to go back even farther because not all Christians actually want a Christian nation as you of I have been learning on the on the Twitterverse. Can I say something to both those is that um one of the interesting things I've read I would recommend everybody read Rodney Stark's uh Triumph of Faith. Um and in that book he outlines the fact that the number of church attending Christians we have today is at like a near all time high. It's higher than it was in the Middle Ages. Um, in the middle ages, they, people, they didn't have enough churches for everybody. People didn't show up when they tried to force people to show up at various times. They'd show up drunk. They wouldn't pay attention. They'd mock the the priest during the service. So like it, it the idea that somehow we, we have to wait until everybody's really holy to get a Christian nation is ridiculous. Like the main difference between what it was like in the middle ages and what it was like now we say, well, they seemed really much more Christian. That's because the government was Christian. The government was promoting Christianity and pushing for Christian morals. The population was often very not Christian. They were often confused, not sure. The same kind of people we have today. You know, like you just can't expect 100% of your population to be like well informed Bible scholars, right? Like you can't, but you can design your government to be that way you can design your government to have an outlook to like how can we promote the morality of our people how can we push them in the right direction in all ways and that would include religion so th this is a, a really really interesting point I, I, and i didn't know this quite frankly so you're saying if you look at it's just it's a historical fact that while the government may have been christian the populace was was certainly not muted or not uh christian they in spite of that they still enacted christian laws and everything like you don't yeah. so we don't have to have um 100 of america answer an altar call for us to be a christian nation yeah this idea i mean like historically the government viewed themselves as the wise ones and you know the they would hire the educated people. They direct the people. It wasn't historically. It wasn't a ground up country. You know, it was. And as a matter of fact, many of the conversions that you see like take place. So you say England converted in whatever it was six whatever. Um, England didn't convert. The king and his court converted, and they then rolled out Christianity to the country, and the people took time to convert, and it took sometimes centuries for the population to fully convert to Christianity. And even then you have a bunch of confused goofballs that mix up superstition and actual Christianity and the government's having to try and correct that and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's his historically it's this idea that, Oh, it's, we have to like just convert the population and let the government do what the government's going to do. That's not the, not the way it's worked as just, it, it's kind of a losing strategy in my mind. So there's that. And I think the fact too, 
when we argue this from a theological perspective, like if we truly love our neighbor, right? So like people have brought up the two tables of the law argument, right? The first table is of the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So even our not Christian neighbors, if they lived in a society that adhered to God's law, they would benefit greatly whether or not they were saved. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've always said that. It's like, if you're an atheist, the best country for you to live in is a Christian country. Uh, you know, or if you're, you know, like you're, you're um, someone that is, uh, like anybody, that's the best place to be is in a Christian country. And um, you're going to get treated with more fairness, more equity than if you live in Soviet Russia or whatever. Right. If you If yeah. you're an atheist living in an atheist country, and you happen to have a different political opinion, that's that's doesn't go very well for you. Yeah, or not even have a different political opinion. I mean, a lot of times the communists would just like kill people for no good reason. It was like suspected, you know, Stalin went after his buddies. That's the crazy thing. Mm. So yeah, it just atheist countries don't they don't have the same level of fairness and idea of equity and idea of hearing someone out and giving someone a second chance or whatever. Christian countries do. So, you know, you, you want to be an atheist in a Christian country. You don't want to be an atheist in a atheist country. Yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. All right. So with, with that in mind, uh, I thought we would go through some of the arguments that we've been seeing on Twitter from Christians who are not excited about the idea of a Christ, of building a Christian nation. Um, so there's a group of pastors, teachers, the G3 Ministries out of Atlanta, Georgia. They're a bunch of Reformed Baptists, and they— What, what do the G3 stand for, by the way? Do you know? Is it's it... like, uh, <laughs> like a gospel, uh, God, goodness. I don't know. It's, it's... Gospel, uh, goons, and goofballs. <laughs> 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 I come up with a bunch of dumb things, but uh, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Um, they, there, sorry, having some mic troubles here. They decided to try and sway everybody, all Christians, from adopting the term Christian nationalist. So, Christian nationalist, um, Christians did not come up with this term. It was for I first started hearing it in the 2016 election when there were evangelicals that were openly supporting Donald Trump and the left would lambast them and started throwing that term Christian nationalist. Oh, they're these, look at these Christians getting in bed with a fascist, they are Christian nationalists, right? You're, you're supposed to associate nationalism with fascism and fascism with Nazism and bigotry and like, you know, everything that's bad and backwards in America. Right. So it, it was a term coined by the left, um, and then Trump won. And in spite of that, the world continued to get crazier. We started seeing sexually explicit material in libraries for children, the trans uh, gender affirming surgeries for kids. It's like, what you know, like what what is going on? Why and people we. You used to be able to, in political discourse, I saw Tucker Carlson talk about this, like you used to, in political discourse, be able to talk about reason, talk about like, well, what's the best, like, if we could measure 
what policies are the best for society at large. We could just talk about the facts and that no longer works. Like reason is just out the door, right? People are, it's just crazy. People like, you know, my kids can't get to, can't go to a tattoo parlor without parental consent and get a tattoo, but you can go get gender affirming surgery behind your kids back in the state of Washington. You can have your kids taken away if you don't affirm their their new gender. It's it's, it's just bonkers. So yeah, it's wild when, how how fast it's changed too. Where yes. it's just like um like you said, I mean Trump that was what eight years ago or so. <laughs> and oh like, man, yeah. You know, stuff was getting crazy, but just like once that happened, it was like the end of the world happened. You know, it was, everyone it just kind of led all the yeah. It just kind of let all the crazies out of the exactly. crazy den. Yeah, that's wild. So then, so and Christian, and usually it's Christians. They could no longer appeal to reason when they stood up against these things. So they appealed to their faith. Um, yeah. Then the that term Christian nationalist started coming up again, and and this time, Christians are like, okay, you know what? If Christian nationalists are your enemy, then I'm your enemy. You know, started wearing that label, which ironically enough, and, th- yeah. and this is what I pointed out on Twitter, that's how most Protestant denominations, well, that I mean, the term Christian was originally uh, pejorative. And we we call ourselves Christian now. It's we, we wear this label that pagans use to discredit us. But and um, yeah, we, we own own the label. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's yeah. kind of how we, we got to this place where there's a lot of Christians that are adopting the the, the moniker of a Christian so the, nationalist. So the G, G3 says what? They don't they don't want you to use that phrase. What why is it because they're against the concept or they don't like the phrase or what? So initially their initial concern was that under a Christian nation there would be a blending of church and state. So you would have essentially essentially a Protestant Pope um, that would like, if someone doesn't attend church, then they send the police, which no, nobody, no, no, maybe there's some, maybe there's some uh, bizarre, like Joel Osteen. Let's get Joel yeah, right? Pope. <laughs> or, he makes like, all the calls. <laughs> I think like Nick Fuentes might be, you know, I don't listen to him, but I know he has some ideas about a Christian nation and like mandatory church attend, like just different things like that. But b- besides kind of these fringe elements, majority of Christian nationalists are like, no, we do not want a blending of church and state. So I don't even know who you're arguing against. Yeah, and I, I don't even think Nick Fuentes would say that, but like I, I, I think the, um, yeah, I think the. If I had to define Christian nationalism, it wouldn't be make the Pope king. It would be make the king subject to the church and make the king um, a Christian who intentionally is pushing the morality of the Christian church out to the people. So encouraging good behavior. I mean, that's... You know, if there's a purpose of the state, it's to help people do the right thing. And right now, we we have a state that's doing that, but their idea of the right thing isn't aligned with Christianity, right? So they're they're pushing what they think is the right thing, which is like 
horrific inverted evil you know like it's the opposite of good um where they're doing gay crap or whatever you know it's just like weird stuff that they're doing because they don't they're not christian nationalists they don't have christianity as the foundation of what they're doing they have some twisted combination of atheism and paganism that they're pushing on society so we do have a state religion it's just not a very good one right now uh exactly that thank you thank you right we we have blasphemy laws in this country. Like there's things that you cannot say. If you say them, you will pay repercussions for them. There there are most certainly blasphemy laws in this new state religion that we have. Oh yeah, there definitely are. Yep, and uh, we we can't even say them on this line. Like if we did, we'd, <laughs> we'd be gone, right? So like there's, yeah. there's there's laws that whether it's through social media or just social context. I mean, one of the things. Um, that is there's certain words you can say where if someone beats you up for saying that word everyone says well he said that word right so yeah. like that yeah that's that's a blasphemy law <laughs> like yeah. when you're when you're allowed to be physically assaulted for saying a word um that's a blasphemy law and our so our state does have blasphemy laws they just don't call them that so you know it's um you know, one of the primary principles of the state religion is to pretend like it's not a religion, but it is. Yep. Yep. Which, by so, the way, is, is not, I mean, for a religion to deny it's a religion is not unheard of. I mean, some evangelicals do that. We say, <laughs> you know, we're, we're a relationship, not a religion or whatever. So it's it's not unheard of to deny your religion. Is, and that's what our state does. It's clearly a religion. They clearly have ideas of morality and eternal good and how our legacy will live on and changing right side of history etc cetera, etc cetera. it's all religious language it's just they don't they deny in the end that it's an actual religion so yep yep exactly so all right so um the, the, so there was a lot of conversations right so that that's g3 uh that was their initial that was their initial problem with Christian nationalism. We don't want the state and the church blended together, which again, nobody wants either. Christian nationalists don't want either. So um, then the conversation moved forward a little bit. The next problem that they had with Christian nationalism was, hey guys, Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. So we can't, there's nothing in the gospel that says we have to impose God's law on our secular societies so it actually and this is a real this is a real thing they said they said if we have a christian nation it actually hinders our ability to spread the gospel that's a, that's a that is a that is a real thing that they tweeted i'm not kidding if, if if we have a christian nation it'll be harder to send the gospel out than it would be otherwise which i think our the church in China might might have an opinion on that, but that's I'll let you react to that, Lewis. Yeah, I I love the best thing I love is when I'm telling somebody about Jesus and I know I'm going to get arrested for it. That's that's when it really <laughs> that conversation really kicks raise the stakes. Time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it uh, that's I mean ridiculous. Yeah. Like I mean, there is an element that whole Tertullian where he said, uh, you know, the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the church and. Um, there is, I mean, that element of like, you know, the church should have kind of a cautiousness to the power of the state and 
sometimes some oppression can you know be a benefit but it's ultimately not ideal right so i the ideal state is when everyone's working together to promote what's good and to promote what is right and that as a society we're all on the same page pushing the same direction um that's the only way you can get substantial growth of the gospel in society or substantial growth of kind of a general morality um for society so in order to say the opposite you'd have to say that evil is good right you'd have to say well it's good that our government opposes christianity it's good that you know they're executing christians it's good that like, you know like that exactly like there's, that you you would have to promote the goodness of the people doing the evil which uh, you know doesn't seem right like to me. i i i find takes like that so cringy because like like would you like if you were talking to a member of the persecuted church would you talk like that would you say like man it, it must be great to live in a country where you guys are because oh, in our country we're not and you know our church is so anemic as a result like dude like what yeah like you would never talk that way to someone a member of the persecuted church yeah i know you've been in a chinese jail for the last 20 years isn't that great like boy here i i try to spread the gospel and you know whatever but like yeah it's, it's ridiculous so uh so all right, so that was objection number two. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, so don't even bother. Um, the third objection, and and uh, it took about a, a week and a half for this objection to come up, which I was kind of surprised, but it was inevitable. Uh, Christian nationalists are racist. The, that's You can't get on the Christian nationalist bandwagon because you're on the bandwagon with a bunch of racists. Because that's a good topic, but can I touch on the not of this world thing just for an oh sure yeah yeah biblical please. interpretation thing um so that comes from john 18 and that is where um jesus and Pilate are talking and um Pilate's asking him kind of are you king of the jews are you know are you you know asking him what his role is right because that that was the ostensible reason Jesus was being executed was for claiming to be king of the Jews, right? So Pilate's kind of trying him, asking him questions, that kind of thing. And Jesus says in, in verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Um, I've heard a couple interpretations of this, um, that verse. Um, but if you listen to what he's saying, he's not talking about like his kingdom won't have an impact on this world or his kingdom won't influence the world around us or the kingdom. He's talking about where his power comes from. Like, where does where's the power of Jesus come from? And he's saying that it's bigger than this world. Right. He's saying it's bigger than Pilate. It's bigger than the Jewish army. It's, my kingdom is from God. Right. Like, that's what he's saying. It's a bigger thing. My kingdom is from the God almighty. So he, in no way is this, hey, you do your thing and I won't mess with you and I'll do my thing because it's from this other world. We'll all go to heaven when we die and then we'll see my kingdom. That's not what he's saying. He's saying my kingdom is from God and is therefore more powerful than everything you're doing. Um, so to take that and say, therefore, Pilate shouldn't have done the right thing in that moment. <laughs> you know, Pilate was right to execute Jesus or 
you know, um, the Jews were okay doing their thing because Jesus's kingdom somewhere else. No, that's not what he's saying. So anyway, I, I just wanted to like which, clarify, like, which that, makes that people take that verse and abuse it so badly. And that's not what he's saying, which makes a ton of sense in context where he's on trial for supposedly standing up to this Roman government, whatever. And his and what's actually as we as Christians know, there was something way many, many magnitudes bigger happening where Jesus is getting ready to endure the wrath of the father on behalf of the sins of the world. So it's like. You know, and so Jesus is responding to this, like, dude, like, I'm I'm fighting a way bigger battle right now than what you're what you're even talking about, right? But you know, to take that verse and say, well, therefore, we shouldn't want the kingdom of God to come on earth, or we shouldn't want you know people to act in a Christian way on earth, goes against. I mean, like the Lord's prayer says, "Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Like, if Jesus is saying what they think he's saying in John 18, which he's not. But if he was, let's throw the Lord's prayer out because that conflicts with that. So, you know, we shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't you know, so it's, it's just, it's like a proof text for someone with an agenda is not at all what Jesus was saying. Um, he's talking about ultimately the source of his power is bigger than Pilate. That's his point in that verse. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for Baptists, I, and I actually talked to uh, my one of my Southern Baptist friends last night, who who very much, who very deeply cares about the political nature of his country, right? So, he, but there are, it's, and this is something I don't really understand. It's like, there's a lot of support for what G3 is saying from Baptists. And I guess I kind of thought that, like Jerry Falwell in the seventies and eighties, right? Like this became this relig the moral majority, like that was all Baptists. So I guess I I always knew there were sort of these Pietist Baptists that are like not you know not of this not of this world not of this world. But I thought for a majority of them were like no, nah, like we need to like abortion is evil, um you know yeah, and we need I, to vote as such. It makes no sense to me. Like I it's just like. I mean, there is that pietist tradition within Baptists, but you know, it for the last fifty years they haven't been on that page, and I think they were going back that direction. Uh, you know, some the conspiratorial part of me is like CIA, psyop, or something, <laughs> you know, guiding them back that way because, like, the, you know, Baptists have been a giant influence on politics for I would say for the good over the last yeah. fifty years, and um, you know, they're it's yeah they need to return to that because we need we need everybody on the same page here we've got a, we we need a national crisis right now yep and yeah we can't can't live without them so so uh moving on uh like i said i am i i am glad that it took longer than i thought it would for the racist accusation to come out but it did eventually and you cannot hop on as a christian you cannot hop on the christian nationalist bandwagon because you're going to be in the same wagon with a bunch of racists. Um, yeah, do you, uh, do you have some thoughts on that before I share mine? Yeah, I mean, so I've thought a lot about the subject because there is one club that the left has used, I would say, since the 1970s. And that is racism. They attach 
racism, you know, we talked about the kind of religion of the state, the pagan slash atheist religion. In that religion, the original sin, the core sin, the deepest sin that you could possibly have is racism. Um, that's everything else ties back to that. Oh, you're against gay marriage. Well, they were against mixed marriages back in the 1970s too. You know, like, so, oh, you're, you're against trans bathrooms. Well, we're going to give, you know, that guy in Tennessee giving that speech, like he was Martin Luther King for the trans thing. Right. So like that's within that state religion, within this um, religion of paganism, atheism that we're dealing with, racism is the core it's the it's the cornerstone that they've built everything else on and that's why you always get accused as being racist because you know ultimately it goes back it's kind of like christians you know when when someone goes against them it's always a gospel issue that's like the joke is like you get a fight at church about what curtains to put up in the nursery and it ultimately comes down to a gospel issue that someone you know like it always goes back to that core question of your religion um, and in, within the left, it's it's racism. So ultimately, that's the thing. So for me, is like this kind of shifts where it's like, oh, you guys are racist. Um, there's a big part of me that's like, I, I don't want to respond to that anymore. Like I'm I'm so sick of that. It's just call me racist if you want, and we can talk about that. But it's I mean the. It's it's definitely lost its shock appeal uh, over the yeah. decades that it's been used to slander yeah, people. Yeah, and and you know it's um, that's where like you know just there's some part of me that's like there's almost a value to like just completely ignoring it and saying okay yeah I'm what I am yeah say what you want and we can address specific circumstances. You want me to tell you my thought on. A specific racial issue i will but like if you want to call me a racist go ahead yeah so and like that still is something that most people on the right are uncomfortable with right so like if i saw um jake shields who's the mma fighter um pretty good guy he's endorsed my book and done a, you know uh, like i like him a lot and you know generally is on the right side of conservative issues um but he got called a nazi the other day um for the stupid stupid reason and you could tell it bothered him. He had a couple of tweets about it, explaining why he wasn't a Nazi, explaining why he wasn't racist and that kind of thing. And um, some part of me is like, yeah, just let him call you a Nazi. <laughs> That's what, like it, the, right. the nice, the nice thing to like, just saying, okay, nice thing to like, never even saying, no, I'm not racist. Right. Never even saying that. The nice thing is, is if they don't have that tool, their entire religion is toothless, right? That's the whole, mm. that's the one tool. So like if they, it's like, hey, I'm against trans whatever. And they say, well, that's because you're racist or hey, I'm against, I'm against increasing the tax rate on the top bracket because I, or I'm increasing, I'm against increasing whatever tax. Oh, that's because you're racist. Um, they That's their main tool. That's their only tool that they have. And um you know, as as Christians, I mean, like it's worth talking about what the Christian teaching on race is, and I know there's been a lot of discussion with that. But honestly, like I even feel like going down that path to some degree or another is like just it's feeding into that state religion, right? Like the you know, let's and I saw Douglas Wilson did that. I like Douglas Wilson a lot, um, but 
he had like a big thing of like why Christians can't be racist, that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, like if it was a different time and a different era, that might be a very nice statement. But there's some part of me that's like, okay, well, like that's not the problem right now. The problem is not that we have this country that wants to kill black people or this country that's out to like start stringing black people up or, or killing Mexicans or whatever. We don't have that problem right now. We have a country that they are literally like teaching like one fourth of all kids are LGBT now. Okay. So like giving like long speeches about how racism's bad um, when you have, it's, you know, your house is burning down and you're explaining, you know, you're explaining why you're installing the TV why? on the wall or whatever. Like, yeah. it's just like, it's, it's, this is not the right subject at the right moment. And it plays into that state religion. So like, as soon as like, as soon as you write, you do like Lucas has come out with eight videos on why he didn't beat his wife. Like I, you know, I've won that debate at that point in time. You, you've like, you are apologizing for something and at the, the same time, like I'm the one that just massacred a village or something like, you know, like, and you know, you should be on offense. I should be on defense, but instead I put you on defense for something that, you know, there might be tr like, there's, there's some truth. Some, there are some people that have racial animus or whatever, but it's not the problem right now. Like it's just, and it's focusing on is stupid. Like that's my opinion. And I, I don't want to say, I don't, I should take that back. I like Douglas Wilson and I like, the people that are saying that, I understand their motivations. I just feel like it's strategically bad right now. I I, I agree. I think, and like you said, you start apology, start groveling, like, well, and I let me offer all these clarifiers and everything. It's like, no, like, just let them throw. Like, they're just they're just trying to, as soon, like you said, you start apologizing or you start clarifying. Now they control the conversation, and they're continuing to. Uh, uh, radical, like the the kids that, that are identifying as LGBT, like there, there's a state religion that, and they're using the public school system to evangelize this new generation. Like we're losing this battle, and it's and it's happening very quickly. And we're going to quibble about no, what I actually the meant other, was the other thing is like I think it plays into that core. Their cornerstone is racism. I think when we all are like, even this conversation, we're like spending all this time on racism. Um, it plays into that fact that it's the worst possible thing. So like, if if I were to say, yes, I'm racist and I think racism's cool, that destroys that worst possible thing. Now, and just like, because I live in the society we do, I have to clarify I'm not, but like, that's just like, that's from a Christian perspective, there are a lot of sins. Right. There's there's sins of uh, murder. That's probably the worst um, sins of adultery, sins of stealing, sins of um, blasphemy, uh, um, et cetera, et cetera. Racism are, you know, like I think there's a case to be made. Douglas Wilson laid it out. Martin Luther laid it out a couple of times of like racial superiority should be considered a bad thing. Right. Like I agree. Um, it's not the worst sin. It's not the core sin. There's, if you had to say a core sin, it would be like um, worshiping a god other than God. If you had to say the worst sin against your 
fellow man, it would be murder. It wouldn't be racism. Saying the N-word is not the worst sin, right? If if I yeah. say the N-word and I get murdered for that, the murder was way worse than the N-word, right? So, yeah. like, this is – we've built a society where the ultimate sin is racism is not, right? So, like, people are like, well, how could you like such and such because he – um you know, supports uh, or opposes interracial marriage. How could you like such and such? I'm like, you like Dave Rubin, who supports like dudes paying for children, right? Like, or like, yeah, you, like, you know, so like, or or you support Bill Maher? You you reposted clips from Bill Maher, and he supports like the abortion industry, and did a whole movie blaspheming Christianity. So like, this idea that like holy crap, he supported a racist or holy crap, he retweeted a racist. Like, uh, okay, like they're not, that's not the worst sin. That's not the core sin. Um, and, and so we've we've all like fallen into it where it's like, holy crap. You know, like, you know, Douglas Wilson could, the, the funny thing about Douglas Wilson is like, so Douglas Wilson is a great guy, very thoughtful guy, very, you know, like um, gets a reputation for being extreme, but actually it's very nuanced. Very interesting. The one thing that has blown up his career is the racial thing, right? He wrote a book saying, hey, slavery in context kind of made sense. It makes sense that Christians could live within a slave society. Kind of said a little bit of what I'm saying about racism, where it's like, it was it sinful? Sure. Yeah, but it wasn't the core sin. It wasn't like, it, so like, it wasn't as bad as, you know, he points out it wasn't as bad as abortion. Abortion's worse. Um and so so he so you're saying he he published a book yeah. uh trying to lessen the unpardonable sin exactly yeah yeah the worst <laughs> possible sin the, the holocaust of america he published a book you know denying it or whatever and i'm saying that with a wink and a nod because like it's ridiculous but um it, it's actually you know worth checking out he it's i think it's called black and tan he wrote i read it um but um Anyway, so yeah, my 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 point is like, hey, racism's not the worst sin. You know, I'm 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 friends with people that are have practiced fornication, that have practiced drug use, have um I'm friends with people that have um lived uh in um the house with their girlfriend. Um you know, I'm I'm friends with a lot of sinners and you know, I know some racists. And like, I don't, I like them, you know, like the funny, funny dudes, you know, like, like a lot of them good, good guys. And, you know, if that issue comes up, I, I'll tell my opinion of that issue. But like this idea that like, because they're racist, we have to denounce them. We have to stand up against them. Uh, we need to stop playing into that, that role. And that's my opinion. I don't know. What, yeah. what you, that's, yeah. that's a long rant by me. What do you think? No. Yeah. I, no, I, 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 I agree. I agree. And, um, Maybe in like a future episode, we can talk like so kinism has come up again and again. And I think that that deserves its own kind of co separate conversation because I see what they're saying, but I don't know. Like it's but and, and kinism, for those who don't know this, basically what it means is that you are naturally inclined to prefer uh, people who are related to you or share your culture, things like that. So what that looks like um like like black families prefer that their children have 
black spouses, right? If white families might prefer that their children have white spouses. Now, I don't think that's correct, especially as a Christian, but I, I know there are Christians who disagree and that there's, so kinism, that, that's a, that's a, there is a sect of Christian nationalists where that is a conversation, but, um, but I, but with what, everything that you're saying about how racism is a dog whistle and we all have to respond to it as soon as you hear it, you have to, you have to be like, oh, well, that's, that's not me. That's no, 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 no. Uh, and, and, and I think they're the an awful person for thing. saying it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I denounce um, them. You know, like I denounce and... them. <laughs> <laughs> they do not, they do not get my stamp of approval. Yeah, I'll tell yeah, you that. They, he's gone too far now. Like I'll, I'll support <laughs> Dave Rubin, but I won't support that. Oh, uh, it's, it's the worst. It's so, yeah. so smarmy. Yeah. Um, all right. So then, uh, so if you're keeping track at home, these, uh, and I'm generalizing here, like there was a lot of conversations happening on Twitter, but basically objection number one, you cannot blend the church and the state objection. Number two, Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. So don't even bother objection. Number three, Christian nationalists are racist. And then objection number four came out, which is the most interesting creative objection to Christian nationalism I've ever seen. So the guy, this guy from G3 was like, look, guys, think about it. Where did the term Christian nationalist come from? Came from the left. So they created this term in order to smear you and smear Christians at large. So why would you take and adopt that term it's just going to ruin your credibility. It's going to ruin the image of Christ. Like, don't take the bait. So he's so there's this <laughs> the, this term got created as sort of this this left wing conspiracy uh, a psyop to discredit Christians. You know, like they like they needed that anyway. Um, so that that's why you 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 need to use some prudence. And don't take the bait and don't support Christian nationalism. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like messaging. So like what is, or branding or whatever is something that people in Washington think a lot about. So you'll hear like Biden say was the ultra MAGA party. And they, they obviously like, tested that you know in a in a you know crowd tested it went went in focus groups or whatever and, and figured out that you know people they really didn't like ultra maga so they use that phrase all the time and people you know republicans do the same thing where they'll instead of calling it an inheritance tax they'll call it a death tax or whatever because they went to a focus group they figured it out um i think that on some level maybe like right at this moment the a focus group that heard Christian nationalism might say, Oh, I don't like that. Right. So there might be like an element. They might have a point in 2023, April of 2023, they might have a good point. Um, I do agree with what you're saying though. It's like those, what seems like a bad thing at the moment, right? If you pull the focus group together, they might say it was a bad thing might completely flip down the road, right? You know, like liberalism, you know, 
has gone through a bunch of different phases where liberalism at one point in time was considered a super good thing, right? So people were proud to call themselves a liberal. Then like in the 1980s and 90s, being called a liberal was like toxic. Like people, you know, like um, Republicans would call people liberals and they'd be like, I'm not a liberal. Like what am I, you know, like it became toxic. And then it's, seems like right now like liberal is almost like becoming good again even among conservatives where it's like james lindsay is calling himself a liberal etc and so it, it's words change meaning over time and i think that getting too hung up especially when you're talking about a big cultural movement that you hope will go on for decades then getting hung up on like don't use this phrase because this phrase is good or bad or will resonate well or poorly i don't think that that's a good way to do it you know i no, you know, I, it, I i think the biggest thing is like let's get everybody understanding what the goal is here and if you know that phrase if it's helpful and i've told you i think we talked about it last time like i've I, i'm not 100 sure that's the best phrase but like i i think that if that phrase is helpful in like aligning people to the objective, the objective is what matters and not whether that phrase rings well or rings poorly at, at this moment in history. It, it, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about racism before. Now, if someone called me a race, leftist call me a racist and leftists and I were political I, enemies, racist, whatever. I, I denounce you. I denounce you right now. Good job. Just, Yay. Like, I can't. I I was. I did like Lucas, but you know, I, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> like, yeah, just fine, had fine. to get that out for the record. Yeah. But, well, because I I, I want to make this point before I explain why I like the term Christian nationalist. But like, so they call me racist to be like, well, I, you're my enemy, and that's my label. So yeah, I am a racist. No, I'm, like the charge of racism is not valid. But so, but the charge of you're a Christian nationalist. You want our nation to be a Christian nation. Uh, yeah, yeah. And whatever negative connotation you put around it, but like the but the basic charge of Christian nationalism, they want our nation, in spite of the fact that not everybody in America is a Christian, they want our nation to be a Christian nation. Yeah, that that is me. And um, I so I am not like so his argument about this being some sort of psyop from the left to discredit us. Yeah, like. Let's, but I, I'm not going to adopt the term like racist or bigot or things like that because those I don't think those charges are valid. But yeah, the Christian nationalism charge. Hey, I'm guilty. Yeah, I do want our yeah, nation I to be a Christian nation. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a a good point. Is like ultimately, it's if the definition is something that you can embrace, why not take it? Yeah, I, exactly. Uh, so like, he, you know, here's all right. You This is the line in the sand that they drew. Yeah. And that's I, th I think that's pretty accurate. Right. Like, like, yeah, I am. on the, I am on this side. I think we should end abortion, not because of some kind of secular enlightenment principle that we could try and appeal to. I think because because God's law clearly says that it's murder Um and that I understand that you're not a Christian and that doesn't appeal to you, but ultimately we're all held to God's standards and we should live our in, ha, live in a society that is ordered in such a manner. Um, so that's that that was the fourth and final objection that G3 had this week. And I um, 
what's been funny too is like and some of our friends have gotten into the fray and there's a there's a meme war happening on Twitter where and the the anti-Christian nationalists have gotten so kind of upset and like oh these kids with their memes they're just they're just defaming us and like no 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 you you started this whole conversation accusing us of wanting to install a protestant pope so let's let's be let's let's be careful throwing around the oh you're discrediting the argument strategy you're trying to employ here um but there are other baptists that do are not sharing g3s anti-Christian nationalist stance. Uh, as an example, there's the Founders Ministry down in Florida. That's like Tom Askell, his organization. They actually have a, I think it's a similar uh, mission as G3. They look to empower local Baptist pastors with good training and theology, helping them to like get spun up on like what the modern issues are and how to, to address them in a theological manner. And one of their departments is the Institute of Public Theology. So they have since 2019, they've had papers and like like talking about they they and they don't use the excuse me they don't use the term Christian nationalism. They uh, it's it's like no we we have a Christian duty to get involved in the public sphere, and here's the theological reasons of why that is how we could justify that position. So I don't want people to think that. G3 represents all Baptists. They certainly don't. Um, yeah. And Founders yeah, I, Ministries I, I is putting out they, some great stuff. Yeah, the the leadership, evangelicalism is weird because the leadership tends to be more liberal than the base. So it's just a, just a general rule. It might be true for every denomination, um, but I yeah, probably not for Catholicism. Um, but I feel like within evangelicalism, the the base tends to be more conservative than the the leadership as a whole. Yeah, and actually, our so our friend uh, Jeff Wright, who's been on the podcast before, he just started a podcast with a friend of his, uh, Backwoods Belief. They they talk about this very issue of how there is this giant disconnect between the laity out in the in the backwoods. Right, there's this giant disconnect between them. And the more liberal leadership that tends to be at the top of these Protestant denominations, um, it's been interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's seminaries, unfortunately, um, often have a liberalizing effect on potential pastors. Um, they go and they hear like kind of. Um, liberal theories um clothed and kind of evangelical not like hardcore liberal but kind of like um more wishy-washy than than kind of the black and white that an average church attender comes up so what ends up happening is the pastors who come out of seminaries often have been shook a little bit and their overall sense of doing things is often not as solid as their own their own congregation well and which is which is bad you know it's bad bad for them to be more shook than the than the congregation yeah well so let's talk about southern baptists um southern baptist theological seminary in louisville that's the big flagship uh al moeller's the president and he's been very anti-critical race theory whatever but they have faculty that teach crt material same thing with 
Midwestern, another of one of the big Southern Baptist seminaries in Kansas City, they have CRT adjacent faculty as well. So to your point, these people, these are the flagship Southern Baptist seminaries where Southern Baptists send their children to learn how to get into the ministry. And they're getting uh, exposed to CRT in this, you know, very friendly manner. Uh, it, it's, yeah. And you could go across the board, every evangelical, I mean, go to Calvin in Michigan or go to Asbury in Kentucky or go to, um, I mean, across the denominational sphere, evangelical, supposedly conservative denominations have their you know, or covenant for the PCA and what is, what is that, uh, Missouri? Um, they oh, the Missouri's supposedly... Lutheran, Missouri Synod. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that would be another one. Yeah. The, um, yeah. But yeah, Concordia, I think is what you're thinking of. But yeah, there's, I mean, like there's, um, you go there and like on paper, they're conservative. If you read their booklets, you look at their website or whatever, but then the the professors themselves are borderline. A lot of times not like hardcore liberals, but borderline, you know, like, and, and maybe closet liberals. Exactly. Yep. So... Uh, I think we've dealt with the objections that they had, you know, in, in detail. Um, and, and we'll go, and I think in future episodes, we'll go into more of, you know, like, like one of my big things is when you look at the history of Western civilization and how the Bible was such an important document, as far as our Western ancestors were concerned and how that's, that's why the West became so great is because we incorporated these laws and because it, it turns out God's laws actually help people to live better lives. It, I will flesh that out more. And I think in future episodes, like why we, we are justified biblically and historic and there's historical record. There's historical evidence of why we should want a Christian nation again. Um, Go ahead. Did you have something? Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I I feel like that's a great point. Like, we a lot of what modernism has done, a lot of what has happened over the last since World War II, really, is a complete disconnect from our our legacy, from our traditions, from our history. We've kind of like said, and race honestly is kind of the core of this. So, like, if I were to say, hey, we should, you know, Trump said, make America great again, right? That was his theme, and one of the pushbacks he got was. Oh, like when we were racist, right? So like there's this, that's kind of the core of like, you know, prior to 1965 or whenever the Civil Rights Act was, we were racist and evil. And so therefore all everything, we can only look to since then as like the solutions to society. So when you say, oh, well, let's go back to the way they built law in the Middle Ages or whatever, um, you mean when they were racist? Like when they were all horrible Ku Klux Klan members back then? Like, is that what you want to return to? So like there, that effort to disconnect us from the historic legacy that our, our forefathers brought to us, um, I think is uh, something we need to get past, right? Like we, that's why I think in some ways the race thing, it is important for us to like shrug that off and ignore it or to even embrace it. Like, I think it's important for us to like say, I don't care. Um, because if it, to the extent that we accept that that's the core crime, 
we have to look to post 1965 for our legacy and you're not going to find a lot of christian nationalists in post 
Um, <clears throat> but you were commenting about how she, his wife was justified because there were things that he said that were emotionally abusive. And you had a lot of umbrage at the idea that emotional abuse is a right for rights for divorce. And like the emotional abuse is such, is such a, this, this kind of catch all term. And you just have to, as soon as somebody says they've endured emotional abuse, you just have to assume that it's just like they endured like the worst things that like, I'll, I'll let you explain it. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely stirred the pot and I uh, had a lot, <laughs> of, uh, a lot of hate come my way. <laughs> um, and I do like, it's funny, like, me defending Steven Crowder, like I've been a giant critic of his. I don't watch his show. I don't think he's funny. I don't like him. Yeah, you know, like so. But on the other hand, like I, there's so many bad things about this. Number one, they've they've got kids involved. And number two, like the idea of recording someone's intimate moments in their house, pulling out the worst moments, and putting it on the internet for like millions of people to view and to see is something none of us could stand up to, right? So like, if I you know, paid your kid to follow you around and wait for you to freak out about something petty or wait for you to like start screaming about the fact that somebody burnt something or whatever, like finding your worst moment would look horrible. Like it's always gonna look horrible. Like we all do petty, small, mean, unfortunate things in our lives we all do and if you follow someone around and film them in their own house when they're not looking like you can make anybody look like a monster now maybe he's a monster other times i don't know but like that video shouldn't go out there you shouldn't do that people shouldn't have to worry about that so that was my first objection to the whole thing is like okay every you know if if you're gonna state based on that video that crowder's a monster you need to like tell your family to film you all day long every day and then send me the worst video and we can compare. So like once we, you secretly record yourself, we can compare. So yeah, I pointed that out. And then, but then the bigger picture thing was like, there's so many conservatives, so many conservatives out there that are taking the side of the wife. Right. And I don't, I don't take either side. It's stupid. Like it's their private thing. I don't know what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. But just, let me just say, if if you are saying, I think part of the problem with society, and almost all conservatives will say this, is fatherlessness. You know, you're taking, a, you've got a society where people are raised without fathers, um, and um, men have struggled to learn how to be men, and fatherlessness is a huge problem. Almost all conservatives will say that. And then you see a situation like this and they're like, you go girl, like you gotta, like you gotta leave that man because he was a jerk because you were pregnant and he said some mean things. Like that is how we get fatherlessness, right? Like that's how, like you, when people get in a fight yep. during their marriage, somebody says something mean and I'm not justifying what he said. Like, yeah, he's jerk, whatever. Like we all are jerks sometimes. Like I said, if you follow all of us around, we will be. But like, if the result of that is you go girl, you don't put up with his garbage. Like that is how we get divorced. That's why our divorce rate's terrible. That's why it's so high. And, you know, one of the things that's been pointed out recently is that divorce is overwhelmingly initiated by women these days. Um, so like, like we often, over 80%. Think, oh, yeah. We often think like the cheating man, like he's the one that leads, 
oh, he dumped her while she was pregnant or whatever. No, she dumped him while she was pregnant. Right. <laughs> like that's like that's the weird like we live in a society where women are leaving, you know, over 80 percent or or whatever. It's like a dramatic thing that women are leaving. And you say, well, how is that? Why is that the case? Why are women leaving at such high rates? And the I think the answer to that question is, is a complicated question, but I think part of the answer to that question is that women have been told that if he emotionally abuse, abu there, there's one reason you should leave marriage, right? According to like the modern religion. So the modern religion says abuse is the reason you should leave marriage. Like there's all these men abusing women out there, you know, women showing up with black eyes and, you know, women in danger for their life. And we build facilities there for women in abuse where you can take the kids and flee your dangerous, abusive husband. Every If he's abusing you, you got to get out, right? So we, we have that phrase of like, you know, uh, uh, Get out of the house. The second he abuses you, get out. All of us, we when we set up that principle of like, if he abuses you, you have to get out. We set up that principle on the assumption it was physical abuse. That like he was about to beat her to death. He was about to shoot her. He was about to bury her in the backyard. Got to get out. Like, because it's a true safety, physical safety issue. We We built that issue. And then subtly, somewhere since the 1970s, we flipped that to include emotional and psychological abuse. And we didn't change any of those principles of like flee, get out, get away from him. He's a monster. If he abused you, you need to get out. Like we we kept all those rules in place, but we changed the definition of abuse to be if he emotionally abused you. And, no. and the the emo and the emotional abuse thing. And you're probably getting to this, but like the the, the we've uh, adopted this standard that the victim determines what that means. Exactly right. So emotional abuse, and I kept posting this under people because Jerry Seinfeld has a funny bit um, where he talks about abuse. He talks about tone. It's a bit called tone. I've got it posted on my Twitter. You guys can check it out. But. Um, he, or just go to YouTube and do Jerry Seinfeld tone, but it's, it's a funny bit. And he basically, he tells the story of like, he said, if I walk into the house and there's another man there and I say, I'm starving, where's the food? The other man will say, I have no idea. Find your own food. Don't worry about it. And the conversation's over. He says, if you, you do that to your wife, she says, why are you yelling like, why are you yelling at me? And you say, I don't know. I'm hungry. And she's like, your tone is out of control. You're being crazy right now. I'm not being crazy. Like and, and Jerry Seinfeld style goes through the conversation, how it spins out of control. And there's historically, that's part of being in a marriage, right? There's a, the men talk different than women. Often it leads to fights. Um, if you watch old TV shows from the 1950s, um, they'll, the idea of a lover's spat was like normal. Like there was, it was normal for people to fight, normal for people to argue. Sometimes like those shows, like part of the bit is the woman starts throwing dishes at the man, right? Like that was normal. And like some of those shows, there's like episodes of if you go watch Bewitched and Darren goes, he has to go stay at the hotel because he got in a fight with the wife or whatever. And like that idea of like arguments and that's part of like being 
men and women, part of how God molds us is he sticks us together and it's not easy. And we fight and we argue and we straighten out and we work through issues. And, and both of us, hopefully after 50 years of marriage, you become better people, right? But it takes, it's, it's like making sausage or whatever. It's not, not always pretty on the inside of it, right? And it's not always great. What we've done since the 1970s is we've said those fights that are so normal, that tone issue that Jerry Seinfeld is talking about, all those things. Well, if the woman thinks that it should be classified as abuse, as according to her definition, not only is it bad that the husband did that, it's abuse and she needs to flee. She needs to get out, right? So the second it, it transfers from a normal argument to abuse, she needs to get out. And so women will over and over again start calculating in their own minds and start calculating as they're talking to friends and family and often, sadly, pastors. And they'll say, I think he's abusing me verbally or emotionally or psychologically. I think he's abusing me. And all the rest of us, because we were trained that abuse is why women need to flee abuse. So all the rest of us are like, holy crap, if well. I'm, I'm not sure if he's abusing you, but if he is, you need to flee, right? So that lover spat doesn't happen anymore. Now that lover spat is divorce, right? That argument goes from spend a few days at your mother's house to start recording your husband and so that you have documentation for the divorce so you can get half his money, right? That's that's the the transfer that's happened. And so you know, my point that I've made on Twitter is like, we got to get rid of that term. That whole concept of emotional abuse needs to go away. And then I'm not saying that people can't be incredibly mean with their words. They can. I'm not saying people can't be cruel with their words. Of course they can. I'm not saying that you can't be sinful with your words. Of course you can. But when we call it abuse, the marriage is over. Right. You can't stay well, with an abuser. Right. Like it's, a, it's another one of those. Abuse. It's it's one of those other dog whistles like racist. Right. You hear abuse like, oh, I got to have this is the reaction I have to have. Yeah. And the 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 thing about you calling it abuse, if if I, you know, if, if a woman comes to me and she says, hey, my husband said mean stuff to me. He said this. He said that. I was pregnant. He was expecting me to do chores. You know, like it just bad guy. I'd, I'd say, yeah, that was, that was bad. But if she comes to me and she says, my husband abused me while I was pregnant, then I say, well, you got to get out of that marriage. Right. So that's why that phrase needs to, it just needs to go. It need, we can't call things emotional abuse anymore. Like it's not healthy and especially not in marriages, especially not like you said, when the woman defines what it is, like it can't just can't be done. We have to get rid of that word or we're going to continue to have ridiculously high uh, divorce rates. A, a very reasonable take, I feel like. And and I, I under, like the visceral reactions that you got. I get it. And but in large part, because we've been conditioned to be like, no, no, no. These things happen and we have to react this. We have to take it from zero to ten. Once that trigger word is enacted, th this is how it is. This is how we have to be. It doesn't. And we, the fatherlessness, the, like, all, like all the issues that conservatives cry about, and rightfully so, stem from, among other issues, 
this particular issue here where like, Hey, he's, he's, we got into a fight and I need to leave now. It's like, what? Like, and the other thing I point out, I pointed out on Twitter is that the Christian concept of marriage is like radical and painful and difficult, right? The Jesus gave, he said, you can't get divorced anymore. Like Moses allowed it. I don't allow it. He said that Matthew 19. Um, yeah, and the yeah. disciples were like so freaked out by it. They were like, "Well, maybe we shouldn't marry." And Jesus says, "Well, maybe you shouldn't, right?" So, like, that's that's how that <laughs> conversation went. And um, the the beauty of that is that you stick together, right? You stick together when you yell at each other. Somebody says something horrible and mean, you stick together. Someone says um, something cruel, you stick together. Someone becomes an alcoholic, you stick together. Someone gets addicted to pain pills, you stick together. Someone um, loses his job, you stick together. You, someone's lazy, you stick together. Someone, you, like, you stick together in the worst possible times. That's part, that's the Christian picture of marriage. And it's, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly difficult. It's, it's the, yeah. in, in the moment, the worst possible thing. But it's what built Western civilization. The Romans didn't have a picture of that. The other societies don't have that picture of that nuclear family. Jesus built Western civilization with what he said about divorce, and we've thrown it out. Like as a society, we've said, yeah. whoa, he, he abused you by telling you to work while you were pregnant. Like, yeah, that may be a mean thing to say, but you don't leave him because of that. And I, um, the, the, this is such an important point. We have, in our society have very dis like almost disney fied if that's not a word we like when you meet your significant other the you know the, there's the dove that comes like there's everything just falls into place you fulfill them they fulfill you it's just this perfect and you, you never fight like we put like put all and marriage to your point and the way it's taught in the bible marriage is not a self-fulfillment journey where you traipse through life together with this perfect partner who, you know, they, th they think you're funny and you just think they're awesome. And it just get along all the time. You know, I, I, uh, I, I give a lot of credit to my wife that I, I I've shared before, like, so my wife and I've been married for 13 years now. And as listeners to the show know, I, I was an atheist for seven years that happened. Um, my my apostasy happened after we got married. So you know, she had gotten married to me under the con one one of her conditions, right? Was that she marry a Christian, and I was. And there are different Christians that have different opinions about when your significant other uh goes through apostasy. Like if you could, you know, like now that you can annul the marriage because you're not supposed to be unequally yoked. Like there's that whole thing, and and she never did. Uh, she's like stuck through it and you know praise god i'm I'm back on on the right side but that, i mean that was seven years of like that, that that's hard and and she did you know we didn't break up our family you know my kids have both of their parents whatever like and that that's how it's supposed that's, to be that's like one of the pushbacks i got when i was on um i was posting all this stuff about marriages people are like well jesus says except for in sexual immorality or like paul says if someone leaves you or whatever and like they're bringing up these exceptions i'm like okay stop stop with that like the goal of marriage is the the picture of marriage is sticking together no matter what um 
different denominations will argue like is in a radical extreme situation is divorce permitted here or there um historically almost no divorces were ever granted you know like uh, historic you know like the catholic church literally doesn't believe in divorce um other denominations like permit it but it's it's extreme situations the picture of marriage is not to ever get divorced it's till death do you part and jesus literally said that he said what man puts together let no man you know what god puts together let no man pull asunder like the the idea of marriage is through thick and thin good and bad he's being horrible she's being horrible um she gets fat he gets drug addicted you stick together you stick together no matter what and that picture isn't being told and people focusing on the exceptions annoys the crap out of me it's like okay stop it stop it stop talking about that stuff you know we don't need to increase the divorce rate we need to decrease the divorce rate and so let's not bring about the exceptions and honestly churches should stop permitting any divorces whatsoever should say no first of all and go back to your original wife and if you know in extreme situations those need to be reviewed with extreme carefulness but every baptist church every evangelical church there is um you come and the woman says, well, he emotionally abused me. I, I fled an emotionally abusive situation. That's why I got divorced. This is my new husband. Can I get married? And the pastor says, you got abused. Holy crap. A good thing you left him. Sure, I'll marry your new marriage. That's how the conversation goes. That needs to go. Like that, we just need to, as a church, as a society, you know, it used to be, so prior to the 20th century, used to be, a neighborhood would be 99% of all couples never got divorced. And the one couple that got divorced, even if it was for biblical reasons, even if they had, even if he literally was abusing her, there still was a stigma attached. It's still like, like it was still was a bad situation. Right. And unfortunately, like we've gone from that to now it's like, the divorce rate is ridiculous and there's no stigma attached and there's no, there's no shame and churches themselves will remarry people all the time. And it's it, like, we're so far from the biblical picture that the radical picture that Jesus laid out where the disciples are like, Holy crap, let's not get married then. Right. Like yeah. that needs, we need to get back to that. It's and, and people just skipping marriage and just living together and raising a family together. Like I saw there was a, Art, there's a church in Tennessee caused a big uproar because there was this young couple that weren't married and they, um, their child, uh, want, they wanted to get baptized like into the church, whatever. And they're like, but you guys are like living together and you're not married. Like, no. And it'd be, and people were like really upset about it. It'd be like, like, I mean, they, like they could have, uh, they 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 could have gotten involved even a little bit earlier than that if it used a little church discipline before that. But hey, they they drew a line and stood by it, and and people were so upset. Yeah, yeah, I think um, that's just like those rules need to be enforced. This Christian teaching, and we just need to like as a as individuals, as churches, as as a state. You know, getting back to the Christian nationalism thing, we just need to like. The whole we we went to I think it was 1970s or 1980s I don't know but um we went to no fault divorce pretty much everywhere in the country and that 
basically says, yeah, if the woman's unhappy or whatever, she can leave. Or the husband's unhappy, he can leave. Usually it's the woman. Um, but they can leave. And therefore, like, and the man can't do anything about it. You know, you take half half his wealth, take his kids, et cetera. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, and, you know, that's that. So, unfortunately. And yes. that needs to go. That, that needs no to fault go. divorce is, is an abomination. That needs to go. Amen. We should name All right. This- Rename this podcast. That needs to go. Let's <laughs> that needs to go. <laughs> that just needs to go. Uh, um, thanks everybody for listening to the Let's Build a Christian Nation podcast. Um, Lewis, what was that book you mentioned in the beginning that explained the bringing together a better medieval picture of Christendom? Um, it's called um, The Triumph of Faith by Rodney Stark, um, and it's um, not just about medieval. It's just about how faith, Christianity, and, and religion as a whole has developed over the centuries. So it's an interesting book and definitely very cool. Um, you should also check out Lewis's book, Return of the Dragon. Um, I the. Trying to think what else we have going on, but I mean, we'll be back next week to continue furthering this conversation about Christian nationalism. It's not this boogeyman that's going to turn you into a racist, mouth foaming bigot. It's like we we if we want to build, go back to Christian principles to form our society, then Christian nationalism, nationalism right now seems to be the best way. You know, going people who support the idea of a secular we need to go back to how things used to be, or as a secular, and you know, just ignoring the fact that during that secular period of where everybody got along, we're still murdering innocent babies. Um, we we don't need to go back to that. We can have something even better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's um, you know, the the thing about Christianity is that it is in many ways. Uh, a continuously improving thing right like it's we don't our goal is not necessarily to go back to the 1400s right there's some good things about the 1400s and beautiful things about it but our goal is to go into the 21st 22nd 23rd centuries and have every year be better than the previous year and every year have more justice and beauty and and wonder to it um, than before. And that's the promise of Christianity. It's a continuous, you know, the picture of resurrection um, really can be applied at the societal level of like just Mm. beautifying and and resurrecting a society out of darkness. And um, yeah, so I, I, that's, that's the beauty. So definitely follow Lewis on Twitter at I am Lewis U follow me at addicted to grace number two grace um and we'll see you next week bye everybody Thanks, everybody. Oh, 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 oh.